When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at NorthMemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I mean, they're a good run team. Like, they're really, really, really good at running the ball. And then you got two good running backs back there. The rookie that's good. And then Cook is really real good, too. He's hard running. I mean, they got good receivers, too. But at the end of the day, we just got to stop them running and make them put the ball in the air. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Myron Metcalf here in studio. Jonathan Harrison producing. Declan is sitting in here for some reason as well. Um, so it's Friday. It's the Eagles and Vikings. And Myron, the closer we get to this game, for some reason, the more I feel like the Vikings are going to win it. Nothing has changed except for one NFC East loss for the Giants last night and one win for the uh, New England Patriots. But nothing has changed, really, yeah. since last week. But as I, for some reason, get closer, I feel like home field advantage, the fact that the Eagles aren't very good in the secondary, the Vikings beating them last year, throwing the ball all over them, that they can do it again, and their defense is really good at home. Am I... I'm not like super, super confident, but yeah. I was really very much on the fence and I've started to lean much more toward the Vikings. Is that a, is that a crazy thing to do? Well, I mean, uh, some of Carson Wentz's struggles have been overlooked, right? Because he's Carson Wentz, four straight games, throwing less, completely less than 60% of his passes, um, has not been the savant, I, I guess maybe we anticipated. And I think that's a factor. I also think that their secondary has had some issues, but, but I think they're going to see the Bears playbook, right? They're going to try to stop the run force Kirk Cousins to be an uncomfortable passer and, and see what happens from there. But, no, I think definitely this is a winnable game uh, for, for the Minnesota Vikings, who I felt like had the kind of game you need to kind of bounce back on, on Sunday. Yeah, they played the Giants. It's not a good team. But getting a win like that can help you reset your mindset. And Did I just say reset your mindset? Reset your mindset. Reset your mindset, kids. That's a chorus to Put your that on a note card. recent single. Yes. Reset your mindset. Good mixtape. Uh, uh, I want to read you a quote from an Eagles linebacker, Zach Brown, from today. Not of the Zach Brown band. I was wondering. Zach Brown, pretty good in coverage linebacker yeah. who used to play for Washington <laughs> and now plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. 
He was asked about Kirk Cousins, and I, I, he said, I think every defense is going to want that guy to throw the ball. For me, that's probably the weakest part of their offense is him. Everything else is good. They've got a good running game, probably one of the best in the league. They have real good receivers. You just want them to pass the ball. You want Kirk Cousins to get the ball in his hands. Is that interesting to you? I mean, usually, even when it's Kirk Cousins, you're not saying, I want the other team to pass the ball all over me. Uh, A little disrespect there, I guess, but also from a guy who would know who played with Kirk Cousins. We heard... uh... We heard that from some of the Packers, right? After they beat the Bears, we want Mr. Trubisky yep, to, to, be be a, to be a quarterback. <laughs> to be a right? quarterback. No, I, I think until Kirk Cousins demonstrates this stretch where he can consistently make some of those difficult throws, you do want that. You don't want Dalvin Cook getting 25 touches. I mean, that's your fear if you're the Eagles. That's your fear if you're any opponent the rest of the way mm-hmm. is Dalvin Cook getting 200-plus yards from scrimmage, open up that offense, and I think he's a clearly a top three or four running back in this league, one of the best playmakers we have. So, yeah, that is what you want. You want Kirk Cousins to try to beat you. You want to see if he can do what he hasn't been able to do consistently. So I don't think anyone's ever said it that blatantly. You better be ready to back it up. And Brown also said, I realized when I was in Washington he was kind of careless with the ball. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Zach, he is. But I don't (laughs) respect those former teammates. But here's my other thing. like if, If we used to rock together and we were cool, yeah, I don't respect that. Like, I don't respect the dude who's like, "Well, I played with him, and it's my moment to say something crazy." That's actually and get his the headlines. next quote was, yeah. "I was in Washington. Nah. That's what I know about him. That's my viewpoint on him." I don't he rock said, with that. Make him frustrated back there. First, we have to stop the run, then make him frustrated back there. Our main concern is stopping the run because if they run the ball, they're going to win. Now, here is why I think this helps the Minnesota Vikings because. Delvin Cook is special. He's marvelous. He's one of the hardest guys to take down I think I've ever seen in my life. And yet, I think the key to the Minnesota Vikings being a great offense, or at least, let's say, 10th to 15th, somewhere in that range that gets them into the playoffs, makes them a contender, is that other teams put all their efforts into stopping the run game. If you can convince other teams to try and stop your run game, then that's where your play action, that's where your deep shots. And I was looking at you guys at ESPN. You've got these things with the little dots. you seen them? Yeah. They, they move all over. They show the play, and they're yeah. like, oh, this is number 27. Where is he going? Oh, he's, you know, Those whatever. Those are cool. Yeah, no, they are very cool. Because you can really see the play yeah. design and the route where a guy ran. And what I've noticed is, against the Vikings, teams that are playing one safety, single high safety, putting extra guys up in the box, they could take advantage of that if... He has just enough time to throw the ball. But it's not like Kirk Cousins is completely incapable of making throws with someone in his face. He did it last year in Philly. I just watched the game uh, back from last year, last night. I went through the whole game, and he made some throws and took some hits. Like He is capable of doing these things. So I think if Philly is putting all of their efforts into shutting down Delvin Cook, that's actually a bad play. I think that your play should be, Delvin's great, but let's make him go for 150, 200 yards to actually beat us. I think it's only a bad play, Kyle, unless you have, when you have evidence that he's done this consistently, though, right? Like, being capable is not being consistent, right? A lot of people are capable mm-hmm. of doing things. They've shown flashes of it. But I think what the Eagles are saying is essentially, yeah, I don't think that guy can do that in four quarters and make those difficult throws and put his team in a position to beat another solid team. You can do that against the Giants. But can you do that uh, against a team with veterans, a team with playmakers? And that's still the lingering question with Kirk Cousins, from capable to 
execution. And I think we're still waiting to see that. I think, you know, the Stephon Diggs throw in against the Packers, I mean, that that to me was all pro kind of level throw. That's yep. one of those throws you make and you're like, okay, everybody can't do that. That's mm-hmm. a that shows his ceiling. But can you get enough of that? And I think if I'm the Eagles, I understand the gamble because it is a gamble. To your point, uh, hey, we're gonna sh- we're gonna stop their best player, who's Dalvin Cook, and we'll see what happens from there. It's just in 2019. I think it's very hard to win games when your pass isn't working, but your run is. And the the great example is the game against the Packers, yeah. where the pass game is not working, but they're running all over the Packers, and they end up scoring. Now, it should have been more, and uh, we can get into the pass interference thing if you want my head to explode. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it should have been more because Diggs scored a touchdown there and so forth. But for the most part, that was not a great offensive output from the Minnesota Vikings, despite an all-pro running game from Delvin Cook. And Kirk Cousins didn't show up. He turns the ball over and he makes mistakes. And then that's how you end up losing. I think if you can't pass more often than not, that's where you lose. So if you have the other team saying, you know what, we can't pursue upfield as hard as we normally would because Delvin Cook will run right by us on a draw play, which I would expect to see really early on them saying, no, we're yeah. going to we're gonna do these draws. So if you guys are heading upfield with a full head of steam, running after Kirk, then you know Delvin's going to get some big plays there and start to slow down that pass rush. And if you could get them focusing on Delvin, because I, there, I think there's like a weird psychological effect to running that impacts coaches and defensive players. It's not just the physical getting beaten down, but it's also the feeling of getting your ass whooped. Like yeah. that players hate. Like, ah, oh, they're not even doing anything. They're just giving <laughs> it to one guy and he's running by us and it's killing us. But in reality... Even a great running game in a specific game is not as efficient as a good passing game or even a decent passing game. And that's what I want them to be focusing on if I'm the Minnesota Vikings. Like, yeah, that's one of the great benefits of having Delvin Cook is look at the Giants last week. They're focused on Delvin Cook. They're running play actions. Guys are wide open. Giants players are pointing at each other. It was your fault. It was your fault. Everything else. And here's Thielen catching the ball 20 yards down the field, wide open, runs for 20 more. That's what you're looking for in this game is how can you get them focused on Delvin Cook? And he'll break some tackles. He'll break some runs here or there. He'll still have success. I think that's the best sort of model for Kirk Cousins to succeed is hoping that opponents don't focus on Kirk Cousins. Yeah, and and he has to execute in that situation. I think with Dalvin Cook, I mean, the traditional running back, you're looking for a guy to – if he gets four or five yards a a run, that's impressive, that's solid, right? Cook to me is you're just seeing this guy and you're going, we can't let him get in the open field. Yep. Because if he gets to the second level, you're done because he's going to make plays. So I think this is about playmakers and they know Dalvin Cook is their best playmaker right now. To me, though, you got to see a lot of early play action, right? If that's really their strategy, if they're really trying to bottle up Cook right away, you got to see some play action passes and see what happens. You got to throw them off. But if you don't execute, you're not going to change what they're doing schematically. So it's up to Kirk Cousins to take advantage of whatever they decide to do uh, and control the pace of the game, control the game itself. And, and until he does that for a consistent stretch, I'm going to believe that it's not something he can do. I'm, I believe he can do it for a game. I believe he can do it for a half. I don't know that he can do it two, three, four games in a row. So I, I'm going to give you something that Kirk said this week on his podcast, radio show, whatever it is. And uh, I want you to give me your reaction as someone who's covered many, many athletes. Because, yeah. You're um, saying I'm it, old? I think it was the, we're not that different in okay. age, man. We, we were both. That's how it sounded. We were talking about big pun before yeah, the show. Yeah, that's true. Like, we're oh, not, man, I love big We're pun. not very different. Um, R.I.P. So uh, one of the greatest. 
Cousins said that he plays better when he has a bit of an edge to him. Um, and I think what he was referring to is all the drama last week, all the criticism of him, Stephen A. Smith's and debate shows and everything else going off, talking about how it's all Cousins' fault and how the contract and you know all that stuff. And he sort of equated the two to each other for his great performance against the Giants. Now, I would say that Sean Mannion throws for 300 yards against <laughs> yes. the Giants. It, it was one of the worst defensive performances I can remember seeing on tape. Guys are wide open all over the place, but Kirk did the job, made some good throws. When you hear that, though, what's your reaction? Well, to your point, I think the Giants have given what given up almost 70 points in four days, They're essentially. Yeah. Um, my, my, when I hear that, I can't stand the athlete who takes the I-need-to-be-motivated approach to be my best. Yes. I think it's a cop-out, personally. Um, and I think it's you waiting for someone else to tell you why you need to be great. If I got a peewee football team, and I got some nine-year-old out there, and I'm saying, hey, man, everybody doubts you. All right, you go out there and show them who you are. I get that. You are in the NFL with $84 million guaranteed. I want a quarterback who's ready. Just be ready. I don't think Drew Brees comes out every week and is like, well, you know what? The Seahawks really got at me. They were making comments in the locker room, right. and now I'm motivated. You don't hear Brady talking like that. No. You don't hear Aaron Rodgers talking like that. I mean, you don't hear a lot of guys who have done this consistently using that rhetoric. And I think it shows weakness. To, to me, Kirk Cousins is doing his best to try to prove to everybody how secure he is in his position. But every time he does that, he only makes himself look more insecure. The key is stop talking about it. Stop talking about the drama and the buzz and everything that everyone's saying because we all hear it. We all know it. You change the narrative by being better. Go out there and be better. Nobody should be, have to motivate a dude at this point in his career who's making that kind of money with a contender. If I have to motivate you, I don't want you leading my team. And I think it's just the greatest cop-out when athletes at that level say, oh, I did this because I was motivated. Do it because you got paid. Like, Do it because you want to help your teammates win. Do it because you're in the league. Like, that's why you should do it. Not because someone made some comment about you in the locker room. That's a weakness and it's a cop-out. And athletes need to stop stand, saying that stuff. they got to stop. I uh, felt like it was a very hockey thing to say. You hit that from hockey yeah. players all the time. Like, hey, uh, you really had a good game tonight. It's like, oh, yeah, they got uh, got me motivated. And I had you know chip on my shoulder tonight. And like, yeah, I know. There's 82 of these. Exactly. You only try in some of them. That, that's what the that's real exactly answer what you're saying. is. Right? Uh, but I, I had been through this before with guys in the minor leagues with hockey that I covered, where a lot of times coaches would say, man, if you got to get a guy going, or if he says, oh, well, you know, my coaches got me motivated. And like, uh, aren't no. you a pro athlete like shouldn't you be motivated to begin with shouldn't you have an edge to begin with and cousins has been one of the most criticized players in the nfl over the last 12 months Mm -hmm. and so it would seem that you know mike zimmer joked of like well now i'm gonna make him mad or something now i'm gonna now i'm gonna get in his face but it was a kind of an odd comment and sort of telling on yourself a little bit that you need to that you're sort of searching your mind for reasons why you might have played better as opposed to the obvious the Giants weren't very good and Chicago was very good and Chicago knew how to get to you mm-hmm. and the Giants couldn't even come close to getting to you. I mean, when Riley Reef has a shutdown day over there at left <laughs> tackle, you're like, yeah. okay, uh, maybe yeah. the Giants just aren't really getting after it. Um, but this game is interesting to me because it was one year ago when people walked out of Philly, including me, thinking... 
I guess the Vikings did make the right decision on Kirk. I mean, there was no other conclusion after watching the way he played in that game. He was really good. He had the 68-yard throw to Adam Thielen where Fletcher Cox smashes him in the face in his own end zone, and he throws a bomb right into the hands of Thielen. There's another post route to Stephon Diggs, 25 yards down the field, laser beam right into his hands. He was really, really effective in that game. And my question is just how do you get that out of Kirk Cousins more often, and I don't know if there's a real answer. Yeah. It, it just it reminds me of the basketball player who will score 20 one night and then zero the next, the hockey player who scores a couple goals and then goes a month without getting anywhere near the net. I mean, that's kind of how Cousins feels. Yeah, I mean, you, we talk about Kirk Cousins the way I talk about high school, right? You go through the yearbook and you're like, man, remember that time that we did that thing and it was so much fun? Hey, remember that one time we were together and we went on that trip? We talk about moments, but we don't talk about his career. Yeah. And I think the problem with that is you tend to magnify the highs because you haven't had a consistent stretch. Mm-hmm. When we talk about Drew Brees, uh, we just say maybe one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Right. Right. We don't dissect every game. Now, clearly, there are some moments uh, in his career, in Brady's career, Manning's career, where you go, okay, that stood out. But you don't dissect some of those bigger games because he's had so many of them. Whereas Kirk Cousins, it's like we're going, if you can take that wheel and that window, right, and you can take that trunk and you can take that engine, maybe we'll have a car. The problem is they're in seven, eight different seasons. Like where is that stretch where you go, no, this dude just is that guy we saw a year ago. I agree with you. That guy, that Kirk Cousins, can lead this team to the playoffs and be – a top 12-ish quarterback in this league, top 14-ish, right? But can you do that for the rest of the Sundays that we have left in the season? Right. Can you do it against Chicago? That, yeah, and that remains the, the question. And until he solves that, we're going to have the same conversations over and over about him. We're going to talk about what was and not what is. So let me ask you this before we take the break. If he puts together a similar performance, are we any more convinced after this game, if he throws for 300 yards and they win by a score and he plays well and he comes through with some clutch throws, are we convinced then that this team has moved toward that direction of getting this type of performance more often? There will be other games where he's not that great, but will we be convinced that there is sort of a, a corner turned or that ultimately the Chicago game brought people together or the best yeah. out of him or something? I mean, what's the narrative if he wins this game, which is very big against Philadelphia. Convince feels a bit too finite for me, uh, but I will say there would be more hope. And at this point, if you're a fan of this franchise, hope is a pretty good thing. You you can eat on hope for a little bit. Did I just say you can eat on hope? I did say that. Very Jesse Jackson. Yeah, it just it felt right, though. It did feel right. I mean, the way you were talking, I was like, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't hope. Is that a black thing? I, guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Jesse Jackson would say something be, right? about you don't hope. That does sound very Southern Baptist preacher. You uh, don't hope. Well, that's a good time to take a break. That is a great time. Um, you have your wallet out and your checkbook, and you want to give Delvin Cook all the money out of your wallet. So yeah. let's talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you 
healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Just remember going back and watching him coming out in the draft and, and studying him a little bit. Really liked his explosiveness, you know, with the with the ball in his hands. But he was also a good catch. You know, he catched the ball out of the backfield, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of explosive plays, you know, on his tape. So you know, it was real real comfortable with him. Doug Peterson there talking about Delvin Cook, Matthew Collar, and Myron Metcalf. Uh, Myron, you've sold your clothes, your house. You're doing everything to donate to the Minnesota Vikings to pay Delvin Cook. He's in an interesting position, though, because the first two years were, I don't want to say wasted, but almost from him with injuries that he's going into year three. Year four is the final year of his deal. Usually after year three, that's when the agent, the team, they start to get together on a star player and say, all right, let's try to work this out. If it's not a first-round pick, if it's a first-round pick, then it's way more convoluted with yeah. uh, you know fifth-year options and things like this. But since he's a second-round pick, just straight-up free agent after his fourth year. And it's a really tough situation, Myron, because obviously Delvin Cook is unbelievable at football. He is the driving force to their offense at the moment. Uh, he can do so many different things. He's good at pass protection. He's great at catching the ball out of the backfield. He's one of the most untackable players in the league. But paying running backs is just tricky business in the NFL right now. And if he continues to play like this, they're going to have quite a decision on their hands in really not too long. Like, even halfway through the season, I think the conversation starts to kick up. What are they going to do with this guy? Yeah, I mean... I- I am generally against paying running backs, and there are so many examples around the league of guys that you can get at value. Marlon Mack is great for the Colts right now. Chris Carson in Seattle, Damian Williams, Kansas City. Everybody thought Kareem Hunt gets hurt, and it's over for the Chiefs running attack, and Damian Williams comes in. So you can get good running backs uh, at a very low price in, in this day and age. What I will say is I do think you pay elite playmakers who happen to play running back. Yeah. And I think that's the era we're in now where you have guys who we say running back and that conjures up a sort of a stereotypical image of what that looks like, a north south guy, but I think there are there are a handful of guys in this league where you go, "Now, you better pay that guy and keep him around." And I think Dalvin Cook to me and it's early and there is the injury history has played his way into that conversation of He's one of the three guys that you definitely have to pay and pay soon, and that's Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and now I think Dalvin Cook is on that list as well in terms of young running backs in this league that uh, if you're their respective franchises, you want to lock them up and make sure they're around. The injuries are concerning. Obviously, that's not something you can overlook, but I do feel like Dalvin Cook has a chance to be the constant for this team going forward. 
you don't know what's happening with Kirk Cousins going forward. You have a bunch of defensive guys who are getting older. Um, there are going to be a lot of question marks with this team just based off of age uh, in the coming years, whereas I think Dalvin Cook is a guy where you could say, okay, this is one of the better playmakers in this league. When healthy, he's proven that. Uh, it'd be one thing, Kyler, if you know he had these stretches where he was healthy and he wasn't that, and then he got hurt, and now all of a sudden he's just explosive. But like healthy Dalvin Cook has always been yep. a really good player. Absolutely. And, and I just think uh, you lock him up if you can, and don't you will franchise him. That's what they'll do. They'll franchise him, I would assume. But I think he's one of the few guys in this league that you give a bunch of guaranteed money to, and you say, you know what? You, to the age of 27, 28, you're probably going to be that fast, that explosive, and one of the best players in this league. Two thoughts. Uh, number one, here would be my a little bit concern with overvaluing a running back, no matter who it is. And, and I think he is incredibly special as a football player. But Alexander Madison averages 5.6 yards per rush so far this year. He's their backup. He was a third-round pick. Cook was a second-round pick. Uh Alvin Kamara is a third-round pick. Like There are a lot of yep. running backs who get picked in that second, third range who turn out to be very, very good players. I don't think Madison is Delvin Cook, but he's only averaging .03, uh, or .03 fewer yards per carry yeah. than Cook is right now. But you know that's not a fair measurement, that in and of itself. You're smarter than that. I mean, that's not in and of itself. No, it, it, it's true because... You know, Cook breaks tackles and things like that, and he makes special plays, and you don't see that quite from Alexander Madison. But the point is that oftentimes with a player like this uh, at this position, running back, you see the situation determine the amount of success more than the individual player, if that makes sense. So you, you go to last year, and you see a very poor offensive line, and Delvin Cook is still... Good, but he's much closer to average, 4.6 yards per attempt with a bad offensive line to now having a offensive line that was built specifically to run the way he wanted to run with an incredibly good scheme. I, I saw the stat the other day from the uh, the show there on ESPN. Was it called Game Plan? Game Pat? No, Game Preparing Monday, for a Game. Countdown? Countdown? Eh, whatever it is. Anyway, ESPN. Of many there are shows. A lot of shows. Yeah. NFL Live, there are a lot of shows. Well, the the uh, yards before contact, the Vikings in the running game were one of the tops. So mm-hmm. giving Delvin Cook plenty of opportunities to be a special player. And his receptions out of the backfield have been explosive 9.5 yards per catch. That's great. But then you get into, like you said, the injury history. The age at some point turns over pretty quick from, oh, you're a really young running back to, now you're kind of in the middle. Now you're not really that special. And with running backs lately, what we see is, you mentioned the franchise tag. They say, no, 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 you're not going to franchise tag me. I'll just sit like Le'Veon Bell. And if we go into the end of this year, into next year, he might say, I'm not playing the fourth year of my contract unless I have a long-term contract extension. You can go ahead after this and franchise me, and I'll still stay out because everybody knows how good I am and so forth and so on, and you can fight that battle. Now, usually they lose. They don't usually win like Le'Veon Bell. Melvin Gordon. But it is, right, Melvin Gordon lost, but it is a potential option. And I just don't know, even as great as he is, if I could convince myself to not just say, hey, thanks for how great you were, but the bets on how great you're going to be are tough to make at your position. It's not personal, man, because you're great. But yeah. this position just makes me very wary. But I, I'm with you in terms of, like I said, 95% of the backs out there, more than that. I legitimately think right now in the NFL there are five backs you should pay. 
Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. You paid Zeke, and you, you're going to pay Saquon uh, two years from now, or whenever you yep. make that deal. Yep. That's it. I do think the traditional tag of running back hurts the Dalvin Cooks in that if you took that away and just acknowledge them for the playmakers and the athletes that they are, um, you would acknowledge you know how important they are. I think people would respect them more. But when you say running backs, because so many running backs, to your point today, are a dime or dozen, it's hard for the best ones to stand out because they all seem to be replaceable. And, you know, clearly Dalvin Cook is in a similar situation in that, you know, if he gets hurt, the offense doesn't stop. But I do think he just makes a dramatic impact on your ability to win football games in the next three to four years. And again, if you strip the running back title and you just go, who's your best playmaker? Playmaker, On a team with a bunch of them, who's your most important playmaker right now? I think he has a case. And, And I think you should be ready for that showdown. Because if I'm a guy with his injury history, and if I continue to play and stay healthy and and play at this pace, and I'm an MVP candidate, and I'm one of the best players in this league, if you're not opening up the checkbook, why am I coming back and risking getting hurt? Absolutely, and and you know diminishing my value. Michael Thomas was the smartest play of anything. Now he didn't really have to hold out long, but Michael Thomas basically said, "Look, for the first three years of my career, I've been the best receiver in the league." I'm not showing up to training camp unless you pay me as the best receiver in the league. And and he won. Zeke stayed away. Uh, I don't think most guys can do that. But Dalvin Cook might put himself in that position this offseason, depending on whether or not this continues and he stays healthy. So if your plan is to have Dalvin Cook for a long time, I think it has to alter the way that you use him at some point in terms of his workload. If you're thinking we want this guy to be great until 28, 29, which does happen. Some running backs can be good through that. But usually once you hit that age 27, that's where you go off the side of the edge, if not even before that, if you're one of these guys who gets the ball so much. And I just ran his touches for this year and what he's on pace for. 361 touches is what he's on pace for right now. That is a lot of workload. And he's a guy that has come back from those injuries. And even when he was battling injuries last year, would come out on a pitch count and still make special plays because he is a uniquely talented player. It's just you're not talking about what you're seeing from now. You're kind of making a gamble toward the future. And if you're making that gamble toward the future of giving him a lot of money to stick around, then I think part of the conversation has to be, well, do you really want him touching the ball, pressing 400 times? Or do you have to start finding ways, almost like basketball players, where Steph Curry's never going to play more than him? 65 games? You want to rest him for I four games? I, I don't want to rest him for four games. Colin wants to rest him for four games. I did games. not say that. But I'm saying that if you are pushing 400 touches, then the shelf life on this player is not very long. And it, if it's on my end, if he didn't have... Any plans to sit out and he was just going to play his contract and hit free agency? I'd give him 400 touches this year, 400 touches next year. Say thanks for your time. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're concerned about workload as much as we're concerned about another injury, right? And that can come at any moment. That can come in Game Six. That can come four years from now when he's maybe in the middle of this new deal, right? So I think with a guy like that, because of his injury history, you just worry about a big hit that. Sets him back, and now he's never the same because he suffered another serious injury. Uh, I, I do think, you know, workload is going to be there for a guy that wants it. He's young enough. He, he looks like he's recovered from the injuries. 
So you give them the rock. But that's always going to be a concern for any player at that position. But the bigger concern has always been with him another serious injury. And I just don't know how you how do you avoid that? I mean, if he gets hurt again, is it going to be because he got 400 touches or because, you know, he gets hit awkwardly in his knee and something bad happens? God forbid. I would never want to see that happen. So I don't know that you can go into negotiations with him with that mindset. I just think you've got to acknowledge as, look, this guy is a special football player um, on a team that has a window, maybe. Maybe the window's closed, but a lot of uncertainty with this roster, and he might be the constant if he can stay healthy in the coming years. I think I might change the approach a little bit from this guy's going to pound away at you to using Madison a little more often to hammer away at teams and having Delvin Cook come out of the backfield in the passing game a little more often because he's averaging almost 10 yards a catch. Yeah. And, and they haven't even really used him in a receiving type of role, which we know he's capable of. And Christian McCaffrey is used that way pretty often. It's mostly been screen passes and checkdowns. And then you know, against the Giants, he catches a checkdown and just runs right past the linebacker and almost scores a touchdown. Like, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty effective for a little checkdown, isn't it? Uh, but there's even room to grow here using him in the passing game. And I think if you were going to say eight games through this season, he's continuing this pace like, okay, we want to make sure this guy stays happy. We don't get into any type of battle. Let's sign him to an extension now. Clearly, there are going to be some guys who are not here next year. Riley Reef for sure. Xavier Rhodes, pretty much 95% not going to be here. And that's a lot of cap space that's going to open up, so you can pay Delvin Cook. And that's really only going to impact you two years down the road for his salary cap hit going up quite a bit. Yeah. But you look at the age curve, and it's pretty clear is that you really can't take a running back past age 27 and have any hopes. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And right now, Delvin Cook is 24. Then he's going to be 25 in the final year of his contract, 26 in the first year of his new deal, 27 in the second year of a new deal. Usually they like to sign guys to five-year contracts that are really 3-4. You're kind of playing with fire a little bit with him. And I think it it does become a difficult conversation but like you said, um, you know this team is sort of built around him, and they have tended to go against the trends of what analytics say for who you should pay. I mean, just you know, for example, Anthony Barr. Yeah, like a lot, of, a lot of analytics people said, you know, I don't think you really want to uh, pay a linebacker like Anthony Barr, and they did it because they love him. So my guess would be that they are already having these conversations of like how how can we work this out for the future. And and they should be having those conversations. And to your point, it, it's a gamble with any player at that position. You know, running back is just a vulnerable spot, and and it's becoming more replaceable over time. It's the most replaceable position on the field, right? So I, I definitely get all that, but they're in a situation where the team was supposed to be dictated and controlled according to what Kirk Cousins could do in clutch situations, and now it is governed by what Dalvin Cook can give them and the kind of playmaker he can be. And that to me is the discrepancy between the two. You hoped you would be at this point going, it don't matter who we got in that backfield. We got a guy who in the fourth quarter of a tight game is going to make the throws to our all pro receivers, put us in a position to win. That was the idea. Mm -hmm. That's not the reality. So now you've got a guy where you go, if he's not good, because I think they're at that point, maybe I'm wrong, Collar. If Cook isn't good, you're not going to beat good teams in this league. I think they, to me, this season, that's how it looks. Could be wrong going forward, but that's how it appears to be, and that's because of some of the question marks with Kirk Cousins. Does Todd Gurley's story scare you? Very much so. Uh, I mean, I think if the Rams go back, they don't do that deal. 
Uh, I understood why they did it in terms of uh, what the market dictated and who he had been. But I think overall you don't pay running backs, and I understand that why so many guys are getting franchised. But I do think you have a healthy 24-year-old who is emerging as one of the top playmakers in this league. And I think for me, production-wise, could you find another back, a Damian Williams, a Chris Carson, maybe Madison? You can find guys who can get three, four, five yards of carry. Playmaking ability, to me, Kyler, he's in a different zone. And I think that's what you're paying for. The fact that he can do what he's been able to do throughout the season in those unique, special moments. Okay, Jonathan discovered that... Uh, Kevin Stefanski is on a very interesting list that I want to ask you about when we come back. Plus, we will uh, we'll get your prediction. I don't even know what your record is this year. Have you how you did, have you done? Not bad. Good. Not good. All bad. Yeah. Not good. It's amazing. Like I go out there every day, talk to the players, talk to the coach, do the show every day, talk to brilliant people like Judd, uh, and I'm always almost always wrong. Like, oh, yeah, like going into Chicago, it's like, you know what? I think Kirk can do it this time. Like, no, nope. nope, did not do that. Uh, all right, so we'll talk about Kevin Stefanski on an interesting list. When we return here, you're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with this hour's Score North Download, brought to you by the 2020 Choice Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Minnesota United's first ever MLS playoff match is on Sunday, October 20th, as Minnesota United does battle with the LA Galaxy at Allianz Field. Exclusive pre-sale opportunities are currently available before tickets go on sale to the general public. To find out more about exclusive pre-sale opportunities, visit mnufc.com. And we talked about matchups yesterday on the show while Max Kellerman was talking about quarterback matchups and specifically the quarterback matchup between Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz. And this is what he had to say. It was quite interesting for Kirk Cousins. Look, the thing I say about Kirk Cousins is he's an empty calorie quarterback, right? If you need eight yards, he'll get you six. At the end of the game, he'll have nice numbers, but you'll lose by a field goal. His team will look okay, but they'll miss the playoffs. Carson Wentz, to me, though, he hasn't led his team to a championship because he got hurt when Nick Foles did it, and again, the following season, Nick Foles led him to the playoffs. Carson Wentz, to me, is the opposite of an empty calorie quarterback. You know, he'll he'll actually go out on a limb to make plays. Sometimes he needs to learn how to protect himself better. He's a genuine tough guy with genuine elite talent, and when he's in the game against a quarterback on the other side who doesn't have that, I think the story's Carson Wentz. Ooh, empty calorie quarterback, that is from First Take on ESPN Today. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Today downstairs was Chicken Finger Day, and I got here too late. So just that's not good. You mentioned calories, and if I'm going to eat something with quite a few, I want it to be our chicken fingers downstairs, but no luck for me today. Does that just ruin your day that you miss maybe the best meal? (sighs) Gets me down a little bit. People walk into that cafeteria and squeal with excitement when they see that it is chicken fingers. The entire building building smells of it. It's great. Declan was tweeting about it. (laughs) 
Like people get excited. Are you a honey barbecue guy on your chicken fingers, um, or what do you do? I like a, I like a lot of variation. I'll, I'll take a lot of up? different. No, no, no. Just like a lot of different options okay, for yeah. different chicken fingers. Different so if, if, yeah, you'd be a monster if you mixed. Yeah, it if up. you gave Nobody me like that. five with you. No, 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 I'm not intentionally putting them together. That's just weird. But I. I I would, there's a lot of different things that would make me happy with a chicken finger. Like yeah. If it's ranch, okay, I can deal with that. But I would prefer the buffalo sauce. Yeah. You know, I think it's in my blood to Definitely. like buffalo sauce. Barbecue is fine with me. They can't mess it up almost. Yeah. Barbecue is overrated a little bit with chicken fingers, I feel like, personally. You're overrated. That's true. Um, That's true. So there's a list on ESPN, if you're familiar with it, Myron. Uh, small yeah, I think I small web address. Yeah. And it's of coordinators who could be head coaching candidates. And George Edwards and Kevin Stefanski are both listed. Now, the George Edwards one is just <laughs> not going to happen. It's just I. It's just not. Yeah. He's, he doesn't even call the defensive plays, and he's never been really thought of. Or I mean, he's been interviewed a few times, but he's not a guy that's really out there looking for head coaching jobs, I don't think, or being talked about as any sort of legitimate finalist. Um, it's Mike Zimmer's defense, and that's yeah. pretty hard to get yourself out from underneath. So I'd be very surprised if George Edwards got legitimate interviews. But Kevin Stefanski, the the offense is being talked about as being a train wreck through the first couple of weeks. They have a good day against the Giants, and now he's on a list as, a, as someone who could be a head coach in the future. And I guess my question for you, Myron, is, if Kevin Stefanski's offense is just okay, would people still be interested in him and have part of the reason be that Mike Zimmer was handcuffing him to some extent? Because I think there's a feeling around the league, and when I talked to Mike Sando earlier this week, he said this. Like, well, you know, I think that they could do a lot of things on offense, but when Mike Zimmer is the one that's controlling their approach and their balance and everything else, it kind of hinders what the offensive coordinator can do. But I feel like that is the approach that all of these Belichick, uh, you know, protégés have taken, right? It's been the idea of, well, when they get to do their own thing, it'll be different. Well, go call Miami right, right now and go call all the other teams that have hired guys that he, he was, uh, that were under him. I, that wouldn't make a lot of sense to me personally, but weird things happen. And I feel like at least in the NFL right now, there is certainly, uh, an appetite for something different. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury's record at Texas Tech was not very good. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone talks about all the quarterbacks he had. He didn't win with those quarterbacks. Right. But the idea of, you know what, if you just allow him to design his NFL style offense and you give him the right quarterback, great things can happen. So perhaps Stefanski, if things improve, can have that. Hey, Kirk Cousins wasn't the right guy, but. You've got to be good. You've got to be better than this, I would think, to get I agree. a head coaching job before you, you know, you're really considered for that. There I would make sense to me if there was also another line of thinking with Stefanski that said, look, he it's not just Mike Zimmer's guy. He's not just a Zimmer guy who Zimmer brought with him and has had with him his whole career or something like that. He had been around the Minnesota Vikings for a very long time. He's, in a way, a Brad Childress guy. He's, in a way, a Pat Shermer guy. And... If you're looking for that young-ish offensive mind who has a great sense for a lot of different systems and things that work, then Stefanski could be it. And if he takes, let's say he takes this offense to the brink again of the playoffs and Kirk Cousins doesn't show up. Unimaginable scenario, I know. But let's just say, 
And they are pretty good on offense. 7th, 11th, somewhere in that ballpark. I think Stefanski absolutely gets a lot of interviews and a lot of interest, and there's a very good chance that he gets a head coaching job because everybody sort of knows the M.O. of Kirk Cousins, and they know what he was up against with Zimmer wanting him to focus on the run and things like that. Since he already got an interview, multiple interviews, with the Cleveland Browns last year, it showed that this guy has been on somebody's radar, and it's not just based on the results. Because even, I mean, Matt LaFleur, his offense in Tennessee was not unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But you could have easily looked at it and said, well, you know, Marcus Mariota is a starting quarterback. If we do the same thing with Aaron Rodgers, we'll be better. It, it would not surprise me if there was a lot of interest in Stefanski, even if they go 8-8 eight and eight and just have a good offense. Yeah, I think interest is one thing. Actually getting the job is another. To me... What the Stefanskis of the world and the Matt LaFleurs of the world even are competing with now is this idea of all these trendy college coaches who have designed these open offenses that are really fascinating and multiple. uh, And all of a sudden, those guys are getting a shot, too. How many of those guys want an opportunity at the next level? So there's a lot of competition. I think today um, the IQ is more important than it's ever been. I think there was obviously a generation that we came up in where things were pretty much, they wanted sort of a a clone of other great head coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think now the football IQ of some of these guys is so important in how they're approaching the next level, the next era of this game. And I think if Stefanski goes into an interview and, and proves he's one of those guys, sure, he could get some interest. I mean, go back to Mike Tomlin. The guy who was not on anyone's radar and just wowed everybody in Pittsburgh when he yep. went for his interviews. So there is that chance, but I still feel like improving uh, offensively is his best chance and perhaps most important outlet uh, to prove his case. And I think if they have a top seven to ten offense, oh, no matter done. where they finish, he's he's gone. Yeah, yeah. I, in my mind, they would have to be legitimately bad for him to not get some interest. But if they're cracking the top 10. He'll be head coach of someone else, I think, next year. Um, I want you to tell me, Myron, before you go, what you think will actually happen in terms of score, who wins, who loses, and also the funniest way the Vikings could lose. Just like, a, you know, like not funny, but like classic, oh, that was a Vikings loss. Yeah. Would well, it be 38-7? to seven? Yeah, or uh, uh, fourth quarter pick six from Kirk Cousins. That would By be. Zach Brown. Yes, that would be that would be memorable. I actually see the Vikings winning this game. I think uh, they win 30 24. I can see yeah, that I think kind of game. There's going to be points here. Yeah, I think I can see that kind of game where Cook, Thielen, just some big play guys. I don't trust that secondary and I think the Vikings are the better team at this stage and I have a lot of questions about Carson Wentz whereas no one's talking about it nationally. But uh, Carson Wentz has not been the guy he was advertised as at this point. I think I'm going to go similar ballpark as you. That the Vikings win here and we talk about this win like, hey, the uh, the drama after Chicago bonded them together and yeah. slingshotted this team Beating forward things like that. Yeah, poor Daniel Jones. He <laughs> faces the Vikings defense four days later, the Patriots, and by the way, does not have Saquon Barkley, no. doesn't have Shepard, doesn't have Ingram for this last game. What Pat. and then I I saw people then last night deciding well he's a bust now yeah. like after his first game he's in the Hall of Fame and now he's a bust and like uh, has any other quarterback done well facing <laughs> no. the Vikings and the Patriots within four days I don't think so 
So, uh, Myron, great stuff. Thank you, man. Great to uh, see you again. Actually, here in the studio. I'm here. You are here. I'll be wonderful. Uh, Every Friday, Myron Metcalf from ESPN and I from uh, 2 to 3. And now Judd Zolgad comes up next. We'll continue the conversation previewing Vikings and Eagles when we return. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. It's something that you know, I realized when I was in Washington. Right. Yeah. Just kind of careless with the ball, but at the same time, hey, you make the big shoot. That was some of Zach Brown, former Washington linebacker, now plays with the Philadelphia Eagles, who had more comments than that, but the audio is not super good from inside of the Philly locker room. And I'll give you the most juicy Judd Zolgad. This seems like it's a Zolgadian type of well, I'm looking story. at this right now. I like you this. You like this stuff. Oh, I love uh, it. Zach Brown said, Cousins, I think every defense is going to want that guy to throw the ball for me. That's probably the weakest part of their offense is him. Everything else is good. They've got a good running game, probably one of the best in the league. They have real good receivers. You just want them to pass the ball. You want Kirk Cousins to get it in his mm. hands, which is a little bit interesting because last year he had one of his best games against the Philadelphia Eagles where he threw it all over the place. He was excellent, and they won the game, and he Philly had a performance that had you and I, or was it just me? Me leaving Philly. You and I were 2017. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't there with you last year. The Ruby year. Tuesdays incident. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I didn't go last year. Yeah, which is my. That's right. You went last year. I forgot name. about yeah, that. Yeah, I did. And I walked out of there thinking, wow, wow. I mean, that was a really good performance by Cousins. And he just kind of showed everybody that he can win one of those big games. And since then, there hasn't been anything that has been remotely close to him winning a big game. Um, it's come apart for him in multiple situations where they needed him uh, to help them get into the playoffs last year. The Week 17 thing is the most notable, but then comes out this year, underperforms in two straight NFC North games, and beats the teams that he should beat, which, of course, just feeds into the narrative that Cousins cannot beat good teams. And now you have a linebacker, former teammate of his, which didn't get the impression that former teammates always had the best things to say as they sort of stacked up over the last couple of years. But mm-hmm. um, Zach Brown saying, yeah, we want him to try and throw it all over us. I actually think, Judd, that if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you would far prefer if the Vikings try to win with running the ball because you have enough talent on the defensive line. You do not want to focus other parts of your defense too much on Delvin Cook because then things get wide open in the secondary, and that's somewhat uh, what happened last year, and it's definitely what's happened in games against bad teams. And even in Chicago, there were people running open, and Cousins just didn't find them. Like This offensive system has worked for a long time, getting people to sort of moth to flame with the running game and then finding big plays down the field. I, I actually think it's the wrong approach to say, yeah, we've got to make sure we stop Delvin Cook first. What's Zach Brown doing, too? Like, why say this now? Just don't. Yeah. But the I mean, other maybe, thing maybe you is, have no concern about motivating Kirk Cousins. The, <laughs> which is which, which is, is fair, frightening. So, if but that's but the also case. fair. But he's also he's also not taking into account the thing that I'm most interested interested to see from the outset on Sunday's game, which is how the offensive line plays as well. Because Fletcher Cox again, you see, that's the thing is. The Giants, defensively, are awful. They So they didn't give us any tells. They didn't tell us anything. 
Now, I, I saw that Bradbury, who sat out uh, Thursday's practice and popped up on the injury report with a shoulder problem, was back fully practicing today. Yeah, Josh Klein's not going to play, but Josh Klein at right guard is not fantastic. Mm-hmm. But my, but my, he's, I think he's quite a bit better than Dakota Dozier. Well, and my starting point though with this entire this entire game to Zach Brown's point beyond that is this. How does your O-line play, which is obviously week-to-week when you're going against a defensive line like Philadelphia is incredibly important, and just as importantly, what's your game plan? Like, what's the game plan here? Because we know this. This is for sure true about the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. If you put the ball in Kirk's hands and say, Kirk, we need you, win it, he can't do that. It's not going to happen. Not against this team. Now, it might against the Giants, but not to put the Giants down, you could probably beat the Giants. So the reality is, what's the game plan here? What's the Stefanski-Kubiak game plan? Is it, we're still going to run and we're going to run, 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 which I think is probably, which has to happen some, but can't be the, the entire plan? Or as we talked about on the Thursday show with Alex Boone, Matthew, is the plan that Cook is going to run, but he's also going to be an outlet in either the screen game or the check down game. And if that's the case, open up uh, passing opportunities that did not exist in the Week 2 game against the Packers because, in reality, your game plan offensively for that one, along with your quarterback making a terrible throw at the end, was probably not completely sufficient. So I come back to that question. When we start to watch that game on Sunday, beyond the 15 scripted plays, what is your plan going in, and does the plan make as much sense as possible given the deficiencies of two things, the offensive line as a whole, and your quarterback. I'm going to throw something at you. You love this sort of thing. It's right in a Zolgadian alley. So I feel like this is a fastball down the middle. And even with non-juiced baseballs, you'll hit it out of the park. Well, they're all non-juiced now. So thanks Appar- for that, Manfred. Apparently, uh, I looked at last year's game plan. Scripted plays especially for mm-hmm. the Minnesota Vikings when they had success against mostly the same Philadelphia Eagles team. And I found a, a very... D. Filippo type of game plan where there were quick passes all over the field to Stefan Diggs, some to Adam Thielen, some to Kyle Rudolph. Uh, there was creativity from the screen game where at one point they line up Laquan Treadwell as the lead blocker for Diggs. They throw it out to Diggs. He gets six or seven yards, like a successful play. Uh, don't go uh, broke taking a profit type of play, as Sage Rosenfels likes to say all the time. And then he had some misdirection stuff that helped Diggs get open underneath on short throw. 25 yards there, a little jet sweep for Stephon Diggs. 25 yards there to pick up some big gains against the Eagles. Flippo had a really good game plan in that game. Maybe not shocking because he knew all the rules to the Eagles' defense. But uh, do you think that Kevin Stefanski would go the opposite way of a Filippo game plan, which was to come right out and throw quick pass, quick pass, quick pass, quick pass? Do you think he would go the opposite way to prove that he's a better offensive coordinator? Oh, wow, this is a great... That's See? so See? meaty! Right down the middle. 307 on Friday! I know. That ball just... that's That that home run is um, 440 feet that I'm about to Juice hit. ball or no juice ball? It's juice, but that's okay. Don't care. Okay. Exit velocity? Exit velo? 110? Oh, at least. This was... You know what this is? Snow at bat. But he makes contact. Rare. 
Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway, yes. Yeah, yes, unfortunately, I'm going gonna, I'm going to answer with the first thought that comes to my head because it's more fun that way and say I absolutely do. And if he does, shame on him. I think that they should look at what worked. And listen, it's got to be a balance, right? It has to be. But if you go in there and just say you're under center, especially with Fletcher Cox against an injured Garrett Bradbury, Kirk, you're under center, and we're going to do this, I think you're going to get him killed. That's where I'd like to see him out of the gun. So Much more. Or, or as we talked about with Boone Diamond on Thursday. Diamond formation, a ruby, or whatever. How about the pistol? But the pistol makes yeah, the perfect pistol sense. the pistol does make a lot of sense. Anything, anything to me that potentially features not Kirk Cousins, but Dalvin Cook, it puts Cousins in a position to be comfortable. But it puts Dalvin Cook in a position to star with an ability that far that goes far beyond just the rushing the football. So we're talking catching passes. We're talking all of those things. The pistol to me, I love that idea. But go back to your question. It's a juicy one, and it's very, very valid because we've seen football people before be like, we're doing it how I'm I've, saying. I've got the real plan. I've got the real plan. Yeah. I can't dismiss we're do it. We're going to do it my way. Yes. And, and, you know, keep in mind, you're right. What DiFilippo did, and and ultimately got him fired, but at the time in Week 5 looked great, what he did was his plan. Should you copy elements of that plan? Absolutely. Do football people like to do that? Yeah, that's debatable. I love that We do see a lot of people change things that have worked in the past, and weirdly, John DiFilippo was guilty of this, where Pat Shermer had a lot of things that worked with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen, and then DiFilippo changes those things quite a bit. He tries to get maybe overly creative to solve some of the problems that were created by teams focusing on Thielen and Diggs, and that didn't work out very well, ultimately. Um, but the numbers from this game in Philly were so good for Kirk Cousins. 30 for 37, 301 yards, a touchdown, sacked one mm-hmm. time in that game, which was huge. If Zach Brown wants the football, you have to sack Kirk Cousins first. And my concern would be if he's going to hold on to the ball for three seconds, as he's averaging this year, three seconds. And the only guys who are holding the ball longer are running quarterbacks, guys who will try to extend plays like Deshaun Watson. So, of course, he's going to hang on to the ball longer. Cousins is not that guy in any way, shape, or form, but still holding the ball for three seconds. Chicago and Green Bay were able to penetrate pretty easily when he was under center in three seconds. I also, my theory is about him under center, too, is teams know about Bradbury. You don't fool too many people. The guy's not very strong. His arms aren't long. His hands are small. Let's have a 350-pound guy throw him to to the side. Right. Mm -hmm. That's been the strategy. They will probably line up Fletcher Cox on a number of occasions right in front of Kirk Cousins' face. Zero technique. Like, right, exactly. The zero tech right in front of him, looking right at him. Yep. And I think that's when Cousins speeds himself up a little bit, yeah. is when you get one of those guys right there breathing fire, knowing that Garrett Bradbury has struggled. And Garrett Bradbury, too, hasn't even been great at snapping him the football all the time. And I don't know whose fault that is, of course, but Mike Zimmer seemed to be pretty mad about it. I mean, when you're not even really super confident because you fumble the snap in almost every single play or every single game, and then you've got this guy looking right at you, that is a recipe for him speeding up his progressions. Filippo took that almost out of his hands last year early in the game with... The, the Eagles, where it was just catch it and throw it. Get get rid of it quick. Throw that Which is a great screen idea. to the outside. It's a great idea. It was a great plan. I watched the game last night and thought, 
You know what helped Kirk Cousins the most was those scripted plays. And I've started to feel more and more like if the scripted plays don't work for him right away, what Zach Brown is saying about him getting frustrated is 100% right. Where that's when things start to speed up in his mind, and that's where you know in after the first quarter, this game might not go very well for him. But that's exactly right, and it, it sounds childish, but I think that the most important thing that you can do if you're the Vikings on Sunday is both sides of the ball have to get off to good starts. And if the offensive side does not, Kirk gets flustered. I, I don't know. I think he gets frustrated, but I also think he gets flustered. And, and the thing that I love about having Kirk take the snap and pistol and basically go boom, boom, boom is this. doesn't have to think. It's just there or it's not there, but it's instant. The more that you put Kirk in a position to think, especially early in games, in my mind, the more that if it fails, he gets really flustered. And so why not do this? Why not come out and say, the Eagles' pass defense is not great, but if we drop this SOB back and have him stand in the pocket and have Thielen and Diggs run nine routes, he's going to get sacked. And if he gets sacked, he very well might fumble, right? So that plan in week five of last year to me is the perfect plan. Replicate it. Make them prove. And Dalvin Cook either didn't play in that game. or he didn't. Or, okay, okay, so if I've got Dalvin Cook now, bang, ball to him. Right. Makes a big difference. And you can have him catch a lot of those quick passes. This to me is not and, that tough. And run after the catch. By the way, this to me is not that tough. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But the game plan itself is not tough. The uh, I was looking up some NFL next-gen stats, Judd. And last year, like be sponsored by Stephon Diggs, his average depth of target, so how far they threw the ball down the field to Stephon Diggs, mm-hmm. was 8.9 yards, one of the shortest depths of target in the league because they threw him a lot of the quick passes to let him make plays with his legs. This year, it's 13.5, which is among the deepest, and Adam Thielen is 13.3, which puts them both at being um, sent down the field for the passing game. And I just don't think you have time for those two guys to go down the field. There was a play last week that was so perfect in Kirk Cousins' wheelhouse that I just wanted to run it over and over again to show, like, this is is what this guy can do if you give him the options. I think it was maybe like a seven or eight yard out from Adam Thielen. It might have been a little farther than that. And Cousins drops back, three-step, takes a hitch, throws the ball on an out route. The coverage is fantastic, and it's right on the money. It's like 12 yards. And he did it once in this Eagles game, too. It's just his throw. Mm-hmm. Like, perfect footwork, step in, drive, throw that ball accurately. He's really accurate. Like That seems to me to be the way to get the most out of Cousins, is to set him up with as many of those type of opportunities as you possibly can. And, and he is good at rolling out and throwing. He's good in the bootlegs. You see him find the people downfield and make great throws. But you got to have time for that. Right. And if he doesn't have time for that, he's going to know it quick. And so every time they call it, then it's, oh, no, here it comes. And I, I, one of the things I really liked about working with Alex Boone is how often he'll say that a call comes in and the guys go, Okay, that's our play, huh? Right? I mean, is that really going to work? Do I really want to run this play when Fletcher Cox is eating a live Dakota Dozier? Like, that. that's why I think at least to get him off early in the game with quick passes and get a little confidence there built, get a good drive, get a field goal to start off with a good solid drive, just like with the Giants. Yeah. He's going to feel good about himself, and I think his confidence throughout a game after that first drive or second drive matters a lot. It's absolutely huge. It's huge, and, and he has... 
if he so to me the Kirk experience is this he's at times going to do dumb things okay he's just at times going to throw the ball backwards he's going to make he's going to drop the ball at times fumble he's going to make plays that that flummox the head coach all right I accept that though but I think the question is working around those plays how can you put him in a position most often to in his mind succeed right because there's not you I don't think you're ever going to in, in watching now a year and plus five games of Kirk Cousins, I don't think you're ever going to get really to that perfect game where you say, okay, that's vintage Kirk and there's just nothing going wrong. And and that's true of a lot of guys. That's not just him, in fairness. But I think what if you are Kirk's boss, uh, if you're the guy in charge of coaching him and calling plays, I think what you've got to do is sit down with with, uh, Mike and say, you know what, Mike, we're probably going to get three plays that you're going to say, what the bleep did that guy do? But you got to accept that. Yep. But what we also, the flip side is, we also can get, let's say, eight plays of, that was pretty damn good. And the question is, how do you get th- those eight plays? And one of those plays, or two of those plays on Sunday is, when you do have the opportunity for a deep shot, it has to hit. Yes. Because like that's the thing last year against Philly. And that's the play in Chicago. Think about how different the mentality of the game in Soldier Field a couple weeks back is. If he hits Thielen on that deep shot, which by the way should have been hit, yeah. But if that, but if that's yep. hit, it's seven seven. His mentality is totally different because you can see him when it doesn't work. You can see him mentally going backwards. You can see it. Yep. And so if he hits Absolutely. that, so so if you've got, let's say you've got three deep shots on Sunday, and you can hit two, you're going to be in decent shape. Oh, yeah. And but he, it's a psychological it, game. It's absolutely the psychological game because we know he can hit those throws. I mean, we see him do it constantly in training camp. We see him do it against easy opponents when he is not afraid for his life, like when he's got time and he isn't speeding up his progressions. I thought him actually mentioning that brought it all around for me to make sense. Like, Why does he play this way sometimes when pressure is on? That, I think, is why, and and it connects or correlates to his confidence because I'm looking at this game against Philly last year, and it was just impressive. I mean, there's a play early. That's his best game, right? I think so, As yeah. a Viking? I think it's better than the Rams game. Right, I do right. think it's better than the Rams right. game. Right, I agree. Um, because he fumbled at the end, for one. Uh, and he did have a fumble in this one. When I looked at it back, you know, it was kind of 50-50, him and Rock Thomas, who's not even in the NFL. Right. Um, but uh, there's a play early in the game where, of course, it's Fletcher Cox or somebody scary on the Eagles, breaks through the offensive line easily, and Cousins off his back foot flings it out to Thielen, one of the throws that we just beg him on a weekly basis to make. And Thielen makes a spectacular diving catch for 25 yards. And there was almost a feeling right there of like, oh, yeah, that's right. I can make that throw. I can do that. And so he called it playing with an edge. I don't think it's playing with an edge. I think it's just playing with early confidence and then riding that throughout the rest of the game. I think you could predict by watching the first three, four drives of almost every game. There's only one I can think of where he was really bad early and then got better, but that was at Detroit, and Detroit was a mess last year. But aside from that, most of the time, the first drive or two of the game, you can feel what his uh, game is going to be like. And so if you come out with scripted plays to get the ball out of his hands quick and start moving down the field with playmakers, mm-hmm. I, I think that's way better for him than, oh, we're going we're gonna to run Delvin twice and then try on third and six. Like, I, don't, I don't think... 
I think when you run Delvin early, it actually takes the wind out of his sails, which I know everyone wants to Sounds run like, Delvin like early. We're talking about a sixth grade kid, but you're I know, not but wrong. I think it's right, though. But I think, I think you right. can get like, the ball to Delvin oh, of course, without handing game, yeah. it to him in the passing yeah. game, and I think it works better. Because if you call up a bunch of run plays early in the game, I think there's a feeling of like, oh, they don't trust me today. You know? Yes. And I know it makes him sound mentally fragile, but it's hard to make a case otherwise from what we've seen throughout his career that it sort of has to be the right set of circumstances and we're always trying to figure out, okay, what works for this guy, what works for that guy. That might be something that works for him is get him a few completions where he's feeling confident. Against the Giants, you could see it early on. I mean, before we knew that that was going to be a bus fire for the Giants, you could even see like there was a play action. He hits digs for like six yards. It's like he made a good throw. It was a good completion. It was, there was almost a feeling of like, okay, here we go. Here we you go. Got a rhythm going. Yeah. Um, it's really simple. Do I want to talk about pass interference next, Judd? Our friend Kevin Seifert tweeted out a stat today that just. I've only got, I've only got one small thing to, to add because I'm not actually not infuriated by this. Oh. I'm, okay. I'm perplexed by only one thing. Okay, let's talk about it when we come back. All right. Um, and then let's get to also a couple of other games that are worth keeping an eye on uh, for this week. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Good pass rush, good blitz package on third down. You know his guys, his guys know this scheme you know, inside and out, and uh, he's got good personnel on defense, and so it makes it it makes it tough, it makes it a challenge. You got to be able to handle their front four, obviously, and they rotate you know five, six, seven guys uh, in there, and uh, they're all they're all capable of rushing the passer. So you know, and then the challenge obviously is to, to do that in, with with noise, you know, and, and crowd noise. So uh, he does a great job of, of coaching them up, and you know they fly around, but uh, but again, this isn't. Aggressive group. It's good defense. That was Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson and uh, Judd. I've decided, yes, sir, that I am going to pick the Vikings to win this game in large part because I do think the Vikings' third down defense is playing as well as it has ever played. And when you're at home, and I do believe the Vikings can move the ball against this defense through the air because they don't have much for a coverage unit that they will make big plays against Carson Wentz, as they do with almost everyone at home. I'm with you completely. How many quarterbacks have we seen in total since the place opened have a great game? Like a great start-to-finish game Uh, where they just beat the Vikings defense? I think of like maybe two. Well, heck, I'll, I'll shorten that up to simply how many quarterbacks have we seen even rebound? Drew Brees did. Yep. In the playoff game, which was an incredible comeback. Um, Andrew Luck smoked them. Andrew, yeah, but they also didn't show up. Though. Yeah, they were. A mess. That was a no show. But I'm trying to think of games in which the Vikings actually tried very hard, and and at some point in time, a quarterback just said, "Bleep you, I'm daggering you." Breeze in the playoff game, but there have not been many. And I think Carson Wentz gets flustered. And Breeze wasn't even playing super well last year before everything kind of went to hell yep. with the fumbles and the pick six and all that. But we have seen a lot of quarterbacks who, if you would ask me uh, the week before the game, do you think they'll get flustered? I would have said, oh, no, of course not. That's Matt Ryan. He's not going to get flustered. Yeah. And I, I have now seen a litany of those guys get flustered to the point of I'm going 
Wentz gets flustered. I mean, even last year, like Jimmy Garoppolo threw a pick six. He overthrew yeah. wide open receivers. He was a mess. And you know, I'm not saying he's great, but he's pretty good. Uh, Jared Goff, home versus away, was a very different quarterback against the Minnesota Vikings. They had seven points in 2017 when Jared Goff and the Rams and their great offense came into U.S. Bank Stadium. I mean, I'm looking through right now. There are not very many good performances. Aaron Rodgers several times has not been very good mm-hmm. at U.S. Bank Stadium, which is why he's washed in part. Um, <laughs> you just love that, don't I, you? I do. I do. It upsets people. Yes, it um, does. Yeah, I mean, even, like you said, the, Drew Brees in the first half of that playoff game, and that's what made the second half so spectacular. But I'm really struggling. Matt Stafford was pretty good in the 2016 game, especially at the end when mm-hmm. he led the uh, go or the game tying and then the game winning drive. Was Golden Tate, right? Who scored the touchdown? It, it was, yeah. For the most part in that game, I wouldn't say he was super special though. It was kind of a tight game, back and forth. Stafford handled it to some extent, but then last year got sacked ten times. Yeah. Just in the history of this place, very few quarterbacks have walked in and put together great offensive performances, which always is going to make me lean. Toward the Vikings, I feel like if they're going to lose, it will have to be a complete Cousins meltdown. But I think it's a different kind of situation than it was going to Chicago. For one, you're at Soldier Field, and two, they have guys who can cover. Like they have a great yes. secondary. They did last year too, Week 17. They have great se- secondary, shutting uh, Cousins down at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Eagles are the exact opposite. Like They do not have a great secondary. They have to do all of their damage with those guys up front. Chris Sandeo darn near killed his teammate. It really would come down to, that's right, it would come down to, is there a pick six? Is there a fumble return for yep. a touchdown? Yep. If that happens, then, yeah, okay, you can see the Eagles What's your winning. Score? Otherwise, I think that they score some points. I, think, I actually think Wentz has been good this year, and his numbers aren't the same because they hit a lot of drop passes. I mean, think about the guy who's catching the babies out of the burning building. They're just unlike Aguilar. I mean, really, Nelson Aguilar has got a bunch of key drops, and Wentz is a good quarterback who can make plays. I think they will score, but I'm looking at something more like 28-21. I'm going 24-17, Vikings. And we're, we're in the same ballpark. Uh, let me ask you about something Kevin Seifert tweeted, our friend from ESPN. He says, coaches, stop challenging pass interference calls and non-calls that are anything short of a complete mugging. You will not win. Coaches are now one for uh, their last 20 in 21 challenges, obviously. One for their last 21, then. Okay. One correct, changed, 20 not changed. Remarkable. Unbelievable. Last night, there was a complete mugging on Golden Tate. That was not overturned. The T.Y. Hilton one, I had a off-the-record discussion with someone in the Vikings locker room about that one where it was like, if that's not it, then nothing is. If not, if that's not a play that can be overturned, that one. then nothing. that one? It, oh, the Golden so Tate one was... T.Y. Hilton ran a little pick route. Yep. Right? And he stopped. And he even put his hands like in the air as if, I am not touching this man. <laughs> I am just in the way and doing nothing else. Tyron Matthew actually put his hands on T.Y. Hilton... And then the receiver came open, and they threw a completion, and they called an interference on Hilton. He never touched Tyron Matthew. Well, they called the OPI. He just stood there, and they called OPI. Oh, okay. And wow. then they said, okay, this is perfect. This is the perfect example of something that was in no way, shape, or form offensive pass interference. He literally did not touch the person, and they did not overturn it. Do not use this. It doesn't exist. It's a myth. Okay, so here's my here's my only gripe, because... I don't have a big problem with the fact that if you challenge this, the the standard is so high. 
But here's my question to you, I guess, is this one. How on earth then, if like this is the basis, right? If it has to be, if they are going to say, it has to be Saints-Rams. You literally have to pick the player up, carry him out of bounds, and throw him in a garbage can. And, and then the ball, knife him. And Possibly then, knife and him. And then the ball arrives, and darn it, that's a penalty. <laughs> How on earth did the, we... Yeah, the ball had to be in the air, though, because yeah. otherwise that's That's just holding, holding and, it wouldn't, and, and you couldn't challenge it. Yeah, the <laughs> knife doesn't count. But how on earth, then, was the Delvin Cook play looked upon... Like, why are we allowing New York to be, we can go ticky-tack, but you can't? Explain that to me. And why no doesn't idea. the league just announce today, as of Sunday, we're, we're, no, longer, we're no longer going to look for it. Yep. We don't care if it happens. If it happens and we see it, it's not, we are not going to ever call it. I think they should suspend this entire thing. Like, just, this didn't work. So we're going to put it on hold. Hmm. We're going to readdress it some other time, whether it's week 14 or next season or playoffs or whatever it is. We are going to put this on hold because it has become such a joke that coaches are out there wasting timeouts thinking, well, obviously Golden Tate got mugged here, but... What you don't know, overturn that? Shermer had n- nothing to lose. Super at that obvious, point. but you have guys. He was, yeah. How about Mike Zimmer last week? He wasted time out. Yeah, now his I, challenge wasn't a good one. I could have told him not to do that. But again, you don't even know what the standards are. So timeouts are being wasted, thinking, "Oh, I'm following the rules as they were explained to me." And wait, what? That's not overturned. How yeah. could it not be? The Ty Hilton one is the most egregious that I've seen this entire time because it was so clearly not OPI that there would be no explanation for not overturning it other than we're just not doing that here. That's basically what it is. We're not have doing Have we it. read the standard? Uh, no, like, have, I don't, have I don't we know read what it defi- is now. It's have we read and changing. Have we read a definition of what the standard is supposed to be? I mean, clearly egregious, but we are getting into the egregious territory and they're not calling those upon challenges. Right. So do we know what they are? Does it have to be double egregious? Super duper, literally like egregious. You, like we just talked about. Do you have to while the ball's in the air, pick the receiver up, carry him out of bounds, deposit it, deposit him in the first row of the stands, and then I can challenge that? So I'm just reading Kevin Seifert's Twitter because this is the only way I can understand rules. Kevin is going to have a job forever it's reporting great, on the rules. He's a very smart. They can man. Never get this right. Uh, he says, I wouldn't assume that NFL officiating is veering from the league's intent. Don't forget that last year, the NFL induced the uh, helmet rule with much fanfare and then didn't enforce it during games. Uh, that's absolutely true. I and mean, they find people after the fact on that one. Yeah, yep. And I don't know how they solve this. I, I think it's very much you know it when you see it type of thing with pass interference where if everyone at home, this was the whole point, this was the standard. If everyone at home could see the Golden Tate had a guy hanging all over him as the ball was coming his way, then it's pass interference. If everyone can see it. The one with Trey Waynes, when you slowed it down, he had his hands here, you had your hands here. All right, well, not everybody could see that in fast motion. So forget it. Just leave that up to the ref. But when T.Y. Hilton doesn't even touch the guy. Right. Okay, well, that... And the Golden Tate one was That, you could be sitting at a bar stool, looking up at a small TV in a restaurant, and go, oh, yeah, there was no... Yeah, with a a couple of them that have happened. Antennas on top? So, it should be very easy. I I don't think it should be this hard. That's my issue with it, is I wanted this. I thought it was the right way to go to have pass interference be reviewable because, as Mike Zimmer said, they can be 50-yard plays. So, we should be able to take a look at them if they miss it badly. 
but it has become such a cluster from the very get-go that no one even knows what they're doing, and these coaches are trying to use it correctly and getting screwed. I wouldn't challenge it now unless it came at an absolutely key time in a key game. And then I would put the pressure on them. Because that's the only way. Because you know what's going to happen here. We're going to get to a key game, and that Golden Tate play that we saw late in the Patriots-Giants game is going to happen, and someone's going to throw the challenge flag, and they're going to call They're going to overturn it. And they're going to overturn it. Absolutely. Yep. That's what's going to happen. Because you know how this league works. That's when they fold. Because now they're like, ah, yeah, this game's one-sided, national TV game. We're going to, we're laying down the law that we're we're not going to call it unless we consider it to be a mugging, a complete mugging. And we're going to get to a game that's going to decide the division for somebody or a playoff game. And they're going to, and they're going to say, oh, you know what? That's it. Well, good challenge. Overturned. All right. Let's look at the injury report. A couple of key injuries going on in this game between the Eagles and Vikings. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. For the week, at the final word from Zulgad on Vikings and Eagles. When we come back, you'll listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can join Dan Terrar, Callum Williams, Kendra D. St. Alma, Jamie Watson, and myself on Sunday, October 20th for Minnesota United playoff action as they host the LA Galaxy in the first round of the 2019 MLS Cup playoffs. Live from Allianz Field, pregame at 7 p.m. with kickoff at 7.30 on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. Eagles head coach Doug Peterson was asked today what it's going to be like having to go into U.S. Bank Stadium, a place that causes many quarterbacks and many teams to do things that they normally wouldn't do. Here's what he had to say about dealing with that noisy environment. I won't address it from the standpoint of, of what we did. You know, a couple years ago, but I'll address it from the standpoint of you know this is this is the next next game for us. It's, it's a great opponent. That's going to be hostile. Um, the crowd's in their favor. You know, we got to handle the crowd noise much like we did you know in the Atlanta game um, this season. So you know, it's it's, it's going to be a different environment. You know, I mean, the building's the same, but you know, we still have to go play. I'm not I'm not worried about what happened in the past. It's all about what's in front of us right now. So make it loud, Vikings fans. Make it difficult for the Eagles to do whatever they want to do on Sunday. That's been your Score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Um, Judd, looking at the injury report, Josh Klein out, Ben Gideon out, Kentrell Brothers questionable. Everybody else is in. The Josh Klein injury, though, could be a problem. Um, Josh Klein was a guy that we questioned signing from the very beginning because you were cut by the Tennessee Titans. And if you're cut by the Tennessee Titans running the same exact system with the zone stuff, like that's pretty concerning. Overall, though, he's been okay. In fact, uh, probably their second best lineman with Brian O'Neill, the clear runaway winner, the Usain Bolt of this race, if you will, just running way out ahead of everyone else as the only effective offensive lineman on the team at the moment. Okay. Dakota Dozier has really super struggled. Um, Garrett Bradbury was on the injury list yesterday for being limited in practice with a shoulder injury. Not great. Pat Elfline even struggled against the Giants, which, yikes. I still don't know what's happened there. I mean, I think I know what's happened there. I think he cracked his ankle and hurt his shoulder and yep. has never been the same since. But uh, I also think boy. year one, you're good, but you get hurt. He was hurt multiple times in that season. Yeah, And then year two... They push you back as fast as they possibly can because you're desperate on the offensive line. 
and you're still basically injured. You're not 100%. You don't have anywhere near the strength that you had before because all offseason, Pat Elfline basically couldn't work out. He had upper body and lower body, to use hockey terms. Mm -hmm. And then you get to year three of your NFL career, and you're like, all right, I'm back. Here we go. And, oh, yeah, you're changing positions because we drafted a center instead. Yeah. And and that's hard, as Alex Boone has laid out for us. It's very hard to just go center to guard. I mean, we kind of snap our fingers and say, oh, yeah, you should be able to do that. But it's entirely different. Oh, I played there in college. How many times have we heard that story? Oh, I played there in college. It'll be fine. Well, not really. Like, not <laughs> it really. might be a little more difficult than you, you think it's going to be. drafted and put in here as a center for a reason. And so, yeah, I think that's all been very tough on Pat Elfline. And my other theory is... The gentlemen across from the Vikings are often really good, really large, really dangerous. And when you put in guys who are undersized, they better be like Lane Johnson or Jason Kelsey. Like They better be strong. They better have length. They better be freaks. They better be technically unbelievable. They better have a great offensive line coach. Like you you got to have everything go right for those guys to be great if you're going to be undersized. Because otherwise, you're just going to get thrown. And so far, and we've seen them get through lots of thrown. Yes. On the other side, though, Ron Darby's out. That's a big one for them. I mean, he is a pretty good corner, not great, but good. Uh, obviously, Avante Maddox is out, nearly dead. It just says I don't blame dead. Avante if he if he says as long as Sandejo is on my team, I'm not coming back. I agree. He should have. I'm not kidding when I say Sandejo should have been suspended for the hit it on his team. Really was a I'm reckless not joking. play. I'm not being a smartass. I, I would have suspended him. Reckless play. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is out. That's a good break for the Vikings, that he's still out. I mean, one of the most dangerous receivers in the league. You also have Timmy Jernigan out. Small thing, but a pretty good player on the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles that they rotate in so they won't have him. Yep. Um, I, you know, there's no huge game-breaker. Corey Clement out as well, the running back. But they've, they've got plenty of talent. being out just disappoints me because I love to watch him play as... 18th year in the National Football League. They've just got running backs for days, though. It'll be Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, who are both very good players. Um, So the only real one that... I mean, the major impact ones are Darby and Deshaun Jackson. So there's the injuries. Um, I was just looking at the schedule for this week, Judd, and, I mean, it's not like a mega exciting schedule, but there is a game that we will get to watch on Monday night between Detroit and Green Bay that I think is going to be super interesting. It's at Lambeau Field. It's a great test for Detroit. Can they go to Lambeau and actually slow down Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams a little bit there? So, you know, maybe it'll be a little easier for them. But Detroit had their bye week, and I kind of forgot about them after they've played yeah, pretty well. Don't sleep on 2-1-1 one, one Detroit, and Matt th- Patricia. And that's what I'm saying is that's going to determine if I feel like, boy, Detroit is really part of this. If they go to 3-1-1, one, and one, or if I'm going to think, ah, yeah, that's right. Hi, Detroit. And Green, back, and back Green to Bay's got the chance to, uh, to go up to 5-1 and one if they win that game, correct? Yes. Yes, they do. I mean, that's that's just a really great matchup. San Francisco and the Los Angeles Rams Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's a really good one. Mm-hmm. L.A.? Like, what happened to L.A.? Are how they, real do, how real do you think LA? San Francisco, Garoppolo? And I, I looked it up. Mm. I, their uh, their uh, point differential is outstanding. It is. It's Really, really good. You know, I think that Kyle Shanahan is legit. I'm not totally convinced on Jimmy Garoppolo. He kind of has some Cousins moments where he turns the ball over and does things that are very bizarre and confusing. Uh, But their scheme is just so tough. Even losing Kyle Juszczyk, I think, 
you know, you're probably talking about uh, losing some percentage of your offense there because he's such a key and gets mismatches. And he's, he's a fullback, but he's kind of like a half fullback, half tight end, half running back. Really valuable player for them. He's going to be out four to six weeks. But I do think that San Francisco is legit in large part because their defense is really good. But they're going to L.A. here. Sean McVay, can he get him back on, uh, you know, together? I, I think that that's really the matchup that I can't wait to can watch. The Rams then, stop people. Um, no, that's more my question. No, they can't. I think that their defense has fallen apart from where it was. Aside from Aaron Donald, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, what they give up to Tampa a couple weeks back? Fifty five. Yes, fifty five. You give up fifty five points to Tampa Bay, you got problems. How about this game? Houston, Kansas City. Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes. Love it. In the battle of quarterbacks that I loved in the draft more than Mitch Trubisky. Who does Atlanta have? The Mitch Trubisky Bowl. Who who do the Falcons have? And if they lose this game, does Dan Quinn get fired on Monday? I'm going to go with yes. Oh, absolutely yes. They're playing Arizona. Okay. If Arizona beats Atlanta, then yes. But Atlanta is just a hard football team to watch. Last week. Or this week, I should say. Yeah. Um, What do you think about this one? Eagles and Vikings. Are you... uh, are you, how confident are you in your prediction? I'm going Vikings. You're going Vikings. Myron's going Vikings. But people always love to go back and show the graphic when everybody picks one game and be yep. like, oh, you guys don't know anything. Like, well, no, I guess not. I'm sorry, what was that voice again? Oh, you guys don't know anything. Okay. Yeah, that's how that I read your before. tweets when you say stuff like that. Like, you got a tweet that's like, what are you guys talking about Kirk Cousins? Oh, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> he's quarterback of the team. Can't imagine. Um, I would be, I would be very... <laughs> I'd be very on the fence with my prediction if this game was in Philadelphia. But let me tell you why I'm fairly confident. One, U.S. Bank Stadium. Difference maker of a building. Yep. Two is, I feel like if the Vikings run the offense that we've been talking about, the potential for success is real. Now, if Stefanski and Kubiak come out here and basically go, oh, no, 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 we're going to do what we do, then you got problems. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm confident they're not dumb human beings. Very confident. And I think that we've learned enough about Cousins and Dalvin Cook and the passing game that this is pretty clear-cut of what you need to do. And if you do it right, I'm not even saying perfect, but just right, I think you can score enough points with your defense still being really damn good to win this game. So yeah. I'm I'm fairly confident. Okay, final four minutes of the show here. little quick game for you. What if they win? What if they lose? Okay. If they win... I think we're talking about everything with Stefan Diggs being in the past, and it may still be on pause, but it's a, a more paused pause, if that makes sense. Like Then it's feeling farther and farther in the past and looking more and more like uh, the guy was just frustrated coming out of Chicago and expressed it the wrong way, probably should have done it that way, but who cares? We're moving on. And, hey, Kirk Cousins has this team rolling. They are 4-2. and two. They look pretty solid. They will be bumped up in everyone's power rankings to being one of the top teams in the NFC. They'll say this was their signature win of the early season. I know this sounds familiar to last year, and they missed the playoffs. But still, that will be the storyline. Yeah. What's the storyline if they lose? The storyline if they lose will, will be potentially the sky is falling. Let's say they lose and Cousins has a bad game then this guy might be falling, especially if the play calling is questionable for said game. I think if they win, the storyline to me is very simple. The offense did enough and the defense played really well. And this team is built around that. That's what every second that we spend, and it's good for us, but that we spend talking about Cousins and the offense is is sort of a misdirection of where I think this franchise wants things to go. 
So if we're sitting here talking on Monday about, well, the offense played fine, but the defense, did you see that that defense? And Anthony Barr had a huge game, right? Then I think everyone's calm. Things are fine. This looks like a potential, and I'm not guaranteeing this, but a potential playoff team on the right track. If we have to come in here, though, and talk about Cousins and the offense, then I think you got real problems, and the head coach's job comes up again, not for immediate firing, but certainly security. You know what? It, it's almost like if when I say if they lose, you already know it in your brain exactly what happened. Yeah. You know exactly how it went. You know that Fletcher Cox came and hit the arm of Kirk Cousins and the ball popped in the air and Derek Barnett, the guy that the Vikings could have drafted with that Bradford pick, catches it in the air and runs it back for a touchdown and then Cousins is shaken and he can't move the offense after that. Like that we know exactly the only formula for how this team loses over the last few years and we know the formula for how they win. I think formula for how they win is a little more likely against a team that doesn't really have any cornerbacks at this moment. Sure. I mean, Craig James got cut by the Vikings and he's playing for Philadelphia. That sort of tells you where they're at. And we were even debating whether they had good enough depth at corner. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the guys they got rid of. Mm-hmm. That tells you where they're at with cornerback. And you have Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. You should rip them apart. But if you don't, it will be entirely because the quarterback gets shook and can't get it done, which will circle us all the way back. Whoever tweeted you and said, tired of hearing talk about the quarterback? Guess what, bud? If they lose, you're going to get a lot more quarterback talk, and it won't be just us. It will be everybody. And Once the coach again, will be upset, and, and yes, you're right. I also think the national media has started to smell blood with this situation, and they love calling people chokers. They absolutely cannot get enough of being like, this guy doesn't show up in big games, and he gets a big contract. It's like the perfect cocktail. It's just gasoline for like Monday. Stephen A. Smith and people like that. Yeah. And so if they don't win, there is going to be a hell of a lot of that. Final prediction, Andrew Sandejo is ejected (laughs) from this game for an unnecessary head-first hit. All right. Great way to end the week. Uh, He's going to be. You know he's going to be. You and Rami coming up next. All right. It's been a great week. We'll be back next week to analyze it all. And, of course, Judd and I right after the game. So if you do not have us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, then make sure you get it. And we'll see you next week. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes, I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive results should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. 
Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you. Or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in.